Welcome to the Dr. Me First podcast with me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Erin Wiseman. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Dr. Me First. That's right, that's the whole focus of this podcast, to help you doctor yourself first. I'm your super sassy host, Dr. Erin Wiseman, and I help you move from a life of burnout, brokenness, and despair to one that is joy-filled, sustainable, and that you truly, truly love. So, Today's episode, I am talking with Dr. Danica Moore. She is a self-proclaimed recovering GYN. She's been on Oprah, so I'm super jealous about that. And she's done so many other amazing things with her career that she'll go into more details about. She comes today with the word talking about connecting. And it's actually because we connected through LinkedIn. I invited her on the podcast and we had a really lovely conversation together. It's just amazing the value of connection. And I want to let you know that if this has been something that has been important in your life and you feel like you have a connection with me, reach out. Let me know. Tell me what you're enjoying about Dr. Me First. Tell me if there's little snippets that have helped you because I would love to connect with you. Okay. Well, anyway, let's jump into the conversation and then stick around afterwards for that kick of encouragement. Here we go. Welcome to the Dr. Me First podcast, Dr. Denica Moore. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. All right. Well, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. So I like to say I'm a recovering gynecologist um, because I don't practice medicine anymore. I was trained in OBGYN. I haven't practiced medicine since 1993, aside from people I take care of on airplanes. Um, but I stopped saying that because somebody came up to me after a lecture and said, oh, I heard you say you're a recovering gynecologist. What 12-step what program are you in? <laughs> so I was like, no, I'm not in recovery. I'm just, that was a joke. So I got to take that one out of the repertoire. I find that, that a lot of the things I joke about come back to bite me. Um, but since 1993, uh, and actually since 1989, I uh, switched from clinical medicine and went into the pharmaceutical industry to do clinical research. I was a medical director at a major pharma company for about seven years. And then I had a career switch again, uh, where I uh, got invited to do the Weekend Today Show a couple of times. And ultimately, NBC offered me a job as the on-air women's health contributor for uh, the Weekend Today Show, as well as uh, a new show they were then launching called the, uh, the Later Today Show, which was the one hour after the Today Show. That's when the Today Show was only two hours a day. Uh, and it was, a, it was you know, a no-brainer. It was a great opportunity. I had two kids under two at the time, um, and it was a one-and-a-half-day-a-week commitment. So it was perfect. So of course, being a type A overachiever person, I needed to come up with something to do the other five and a half days of the week. Uh, and I started a company called Sapphire Women's Health Group, which is a women's health education, communications, and consulting company, uh, which has launched into doing basically whatever I feel like it. Um, and whatever I feel like it generally has five roles. Uh, the first is it has to do with why I became a doctor in the first place which is, of course, to help people live healthier lives. Uh, the second is it has to have something to do with women's health. I don't get involved with projects that are just women's health related. In fact, I used to say I do everything but prostate cancer, 
And then I got contacted by an organization called Women Against Prostate Cancer, who wanted to educate women about prostate cancer for the purposes of benefiting the men in their lives. So I can't tell that joke anymore. Um, and uh, the third thing, it has to be fun. Um, you know, I, I was tired of doing things that were drudgery or things that I dreaded waking up in the morning to do. Uh, the fourth thing is it has to either be pro bono or lucrative. Uh, what I say to a lot of my clients who are multi-billion dollar companies is I'm happy to do pro bono activities for not-for-profit organizations, not for multi-billion dollar international companies. Uh, and then the fifth thing is it has to be with good people. So those are the rules I started when I started this company in 1996, and they're still very good rules. So in addition, I uh, run a website called drdonica.com, which is women's health related. And my newest venture, which I launched uh, about a year ago, is uh, a podcast called In the Ladies Room with Dr. Donica. And our concept is we talk about things the way we would talk about them if we ran into each other in the ladies room. And we cover issues in the fullest definition of women's health. So basically anything that affects the health and well-being of women. And of course, about half of our guests have been women physicians. And there have been occasions where we've even invited men into the ladies' room uh, if they have particularly fun or titillating topics. Absolutely. Well, I love it so much. And I know that we connected over LinkedIn and it's just been a delight to get to know you. And I'm so glad that all my listeners have heard all of your magic because when you tell your whole story like that, it really paints a beautiful picture of the career course that you've had. So I love that so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I love this concept of the podcast that you're doing because I think you know, women physicians in particular are a very high risk group for not putting our own oxygen masks on first. Uh, and we are so ingrained in taking care of others, whether that's our patients or our students or our residents or our colleagues or our children or our parents, we often get lost in the shuffle. Um, and that was part of my story. I think when I tell my story, a lot of people think I made the career transitional choices I did because I had children, uh, because of the ages of my children. That's at the always time. the first assumption. <laughs> <laughs> and that really had very little to do with it. Uh, I actually made the original career choice to leave uh, clinical medicine because I had a severe spinal injury. So that part of my story, the disability part, has really influenced more of my career decisions than anything else. Uh, it's also the part that I've gone to the greatest lengths to kind of hide and not really talk about and not disclose. I'm at the point where I'm old enough and accomplished enough uh, that I can now start talking about it, but I'm also at the point now where I have to use some kind of assistive device to walk. So I can't really hide it as well anymore. <laughs> I used to have a great slide that I used to show when talking about people with disabilities um, that was uh, a hand, a perfectly you know, normal woman's hand reaching out to shake somebody else's hand who had a prosthesis. And uh, the caption on the slide was, the problem with disabilities is sometimes you meet them before you meet the person who has it or has them. And I think that you know, is a really interesting dynamic. 
Yeah, especially when you pick it apart and, and see what you're actually seeing is not what that whole picture is, is so important to look at. Well, it's so great. And the word that you picked for us to talk about today is connecting. Tell me why you picked that. I picked it because it was the first word that jumped to mind when I read your prompt. Um, and I just decided to just go with the first word. And of course, 27 other words as possibilities came up afterwards, because that's such a great concept that you have. But I was in a moment where we connected on social media and it was a week when med Twitter was really getting going on Twitter. And I was interacting with all of these incredible physicians uh, who had gotten together just because uh, a woman's physician, Dana Oriel, started uh, the social media docs uh, handle. And she really brought all of these people together. And I thought about how we kind of have this dichotomy with social media, where we say it's the scourge of the earth and it's done terrible things to our elections and our democracy and our teenagers and our children and people are feeling more and more isolated. On the other hand, it brings incredibly disparate groups together who might never ever have met before. It allows us to be very supportive of each other. And especially for those of us who are very limited in time and have a lot of issues scheduling get togethers with people in real life. You know, this allows us to connect at two o'clock in the morning uh, or allows us to connect across time zones, allows us to connect across specialties. And I was thinking about it in terms of having booked several of my recent podcast guests through people that I interacted with on Twitter. So for example, just uh, yesterday we had an episode, uh, today is World Meningitis Day, and we had an episode where we talked about meningitis B, uh, where of course most people um, still don't recognize that there's two different vaccines for two different, you know, well, really five different types of meningitis, uh, since we're talking mostly to doctors, uh, but two different vaccines, each of which need two different doses, and I was talking to two women who tragically lost their teenage daughters to meningitis B just before the vaccine became available. And this was a tearjerker. You know, I know it's a tearjerker episode when I'm crying. Um, and I had not just a personal connection with these women, and obviously I feel passionately about vaccines, but my son was actually in college in 2014 when the meningitis B outbreak hit Princeton University. And there were eight students who uh, got meningitis. Miraculously, none of them died. Um, but my son was there then. I, of course, told him if he didn't, wasn't first online to get the vaccine, he would get my mommyitis instead of meningitis. <laughs> but uh, Princeton did an incredible job getting permission to get the vaccine to their students before it was FDA approved. And this was an incredible emotional angst that here I was talking to these two women whose daughters did not have the option to get the vaccine before it was FDA approved, whereas my son did. Now at the same time, I had another child who was in a school that didn't have that option. So I knew what that felt like to have one vaccinated child and one not vaccinated child in the throes of an outbreak. Yeah, I know. So I'm primary care by training. And so that has been a huge education point, like talking with families about, you know, 
things have changed and yeah, our meningitis prevention is a little bit different now. And yes, that includes another couple pokes. <laughs> they're going to be okay. They're big kids. They can handle it. And, you know, and I think it's so important as we are advocating for our patients for vaccines and trying to um, fight the disinformation, the misinformation that's on the internet, that having these powerful stories are just so important. Well, and that's part of the vicious cycle of uh, connecting, right? So the good part of that story is I connected with these two women who out of tragedy created a uh, meningitis B action uh, network organization where they are trying to get the correct information out and raise awareness about the importance of people getting vaccinated. But at the same time, the same medium is being used to spread disinformation. So I think this is why it's really important for physicians to be taking a more vocal role on social, on social media to get the correct information out. Now, that having been said, we had uh, at least one physician who ran for president in the last election cycle who spread anti-vaxxer messages. You know, so, you know, that's another thing. When we have physicians spreading misinformation, I think that's a whole new level of awful. But back to why I chose the term, <laughs> the word connecting, is because even at this point in my life where I'm almost a senior citizen, I feel like I get tremendous energy uh, and empowerment and motivation and inspiration from connecting with people of very diverse backgrounds all across the spectrum, ages, different careers, or even within medicine, different specialties. I've talked to more interventional radiologists online in the past couple of weeks than I think I ever have in my entire career. <laughs> That's what I say too with my podcast. I have got to talk to so many just phenomenal colleagues that I would never just randomly, you know, call up my local ophthalmologist, you know, unless I had like some serious eye emergency. And it's so great to connect on a deeper plane than just patient care and, you know, just trying to get the job done, but be able to dive deeper in the surface and be like, tell me about you. Tell me about your struggles. Tell me about your story. Tell me about yeah, your message. And tell me about your perspectives. Yeah. Because what happens is we get very siloed. Certainly in medicine, we get very siloed in our own specialty, in our own professions and, and kind of how we see the world and what we do. And also when we think of our broader society at large right now, we, we live in a very divided country. You know, we're in a very precarious situation, I think, where we don't want to hear from people with different perspectives. You know, I certainly do not want to watch Fox News, but I kind of force myself sometimes to do that and do that with an open mind um, and try to engage, even though my first natural instinct is anger. <laughs> um, and I've had a very interesting experience with this at my gym. Now, the first thing is I am trying to go to the gym more religiously. But second of all, because I do have a pretty visible handicap, I'm more obvious at the gym. 
It's a little more difficult for me to get around. Sometimes I have to ask the muscle guys to help me with the weight machines. And I always say to them, you know, I need you to take these plates off because I don't want to embarrass you by, you know, my lifting more weight than you do. (laughs) Um, And so I engage with more people at the gym than I normally would have before this situation. Um, Shortly, the day after the election, I overheard a conversation with four men applauding themselves for having voted for the president and thus saving countless babies from being torn from their mother's wombs at one day before nine months, which is how Trump had positioned abortion. You know, that abortion was okay until one day before nine months, which is complete and utter nonsense. There is nobody in the, there is nowhere in the United States of America where abortion is legal after 24 weeks or after viability under any circumstances, even when the mother's life is a danger. What we call it, if somebody's having a, a, if somebody needs to have the baby removed from their womb after viability, it's called a delivery. Yeah, preterm labor and delivery. Um, So I heard these guys talking and at first I got angry and then I said, okay, I'm gonna get professorial. And I said, look, guys, you're having this conversation loud enough so that I can hear it, which I assume means you want me to participate. So I got in. And at first, they were hostile about my jumping in in their conversation. Uh, I was hostile about the content of their conversation. But by asking questions and offering to answer their questions, it became very apparent that they just didn't know the information. They didn't know that pregnancy was for, when I said uh, viability being, you know, know, some people say 24 weeks, some people say 25, so we say 24 just to be on the safe side. They didn't know how many weeks pregnancy was. You know, and I said, do you know how many months that is? And one guy said, well, it depends on if the month has four weeks or five weeks. And I said, okay, good point. But I said, that's why we talk about pregnancy in terms of being 40 weeks. And we really talk about it in terms of being 40 plus or minus two. And I explained that concept. And all four of these men were over 40 and they all were fathers. And they didn't know some of these basic things. They didn't know, you know, so when I said about how after 25 weeks, it's called a delivery. They said, well, what about women who dump their babies in a dumpster? And I was like, seriously? That doesn't involve any medical professionals. (laughs) That is, you know, a woman abandoning her pregnancy. That's not an abortion. It might be a miscarriage or it might be a premature delivery. So we talked about all of these things and all of these questions. And I think afterwards, I came away with a good feeling that I had connected uh, with a very different audience than I normally talk to. And I even had an experience at the gym the other day where there's a young man who I've talked to before. So I know he's a uh, third year psych resident at my gym. And we talk every so often. He came up to me the other day and he said, can I ask you a question? And I was like, okay, (laughs) how personal is this? And he said, no, it's just, I'm studying for my uh, step three of my boards. And um, he said, can you tell me how Rogam is administered? And I, my first reaction is, what's a psych resident need to know about Rogam for? And it hadn't occurred to me, like even thinking about people outside your silo. You know, when I was taking uh, part three of the boards, I don't think I even really studied for it. 
because I felt like I had been pretty much exposed to general medicine and general surgery, and I would just punt anything on cardiology <laughs> um, or oncology. But I still had GYN oncology. Um, but here's a guy who's a psych resident who's just been doing psych for the past three years. So he says he has to, you know, now brush up on all of these general medical and surgical questions, which hadn't really occurred to me. Yeah. So it was nice to, you know, it's always nice to have that like perspective that you have kind of like jiggled a little bit. So you're like, oh, yeah. It's well, what was also nice that. is that he asked me a question I did know the answer to. Yeah. You're like, I'm still like, relevant, yes. baby. I got it. <laughs> I got this. That's right. That's so Although it was good. an interesting conversation because I said to him to be careful about, you know, and, uh, any tricks with the question. And of course, you know, miscarriage or abortion, you know, it would just depend on when in the pregnancy, whether you need to administer Rogam or not. And I actually had to look that up to say, okay, what's the current thinking on do you give Rogam in a woman who's had a miscarriage or an abortion? So that was kind of interesting. And that's the other thing is that I kind of, love constantly being challenged to look things up and remember things and learn new things. And from a primary care perspective, this is one of the things I say to pet patients all the time, is this, why the, this is why the annual exam is so important, the annual visit, because not only do you change, but information changes. Yeah, and I always remind myself, it's, we're practicing the art of medicine. Absolutely. So that, you know, that it's adaptable with all of it. Well, Dr. Moore, thank you so much for coming on. The that was my pleasure. For connecting with me. <laughs> I hope that we can stay connected through all of this. And if my listeners are like, hmm, I need some more of her in my life. Where can <laughs> they come hang out with you or uh, I visit am, you? I am available. Um, so the first place I'd love for people to listen to my podca podcast, which is in the ladies room with Dr. Donica. It's available on iTunes and everywhere else people listen to podcasts, but we also have the video versions available on YouTube for people who prefer to watch their podcasts. Um, I'm available on Facebook at Dr. Donica Moore. Dr. Donica is always D-R-D-O-N-N-I-C-A with no periods, um, and available on Twitter at Dr. Donica and Instagram at Dr. Donica Moore. So kind of hard not to find me. Yeah, we'll get all of that in the show notes so that people can have easy access and click on it. Super, and, and then my website is drdonica.com. Awesome, well thank you so much again for coming on. Thank you, it was such a pleasure and I'm gonna tune into your podcast now and, and connect even further with all your fabulous guests. Yeah, you'll have to go back and listen. I think it's episode five is where Dr. Coriel comes on and talks about Somi Docs. I will start there. And that's one of the great things about podcasts too, is that they're available at any time that, you know, they're archived and you can always go back. And if you're like me, I like using the fast button so that I can yeah. speed it up and get more in. Well, it depends if the guest is from New York or if they're, if they're a slower speaker from elsewhere. That's but yeah, true. I like to listen when I'm at the gym. Yeah, great places. Well, thanks again. Take care. Good talking to you. 
thanks again to Dr. Moore for coming on and having a very candid conversation and for connecting with me on LinkedIn. I've really enjoyed getting to know more about her career and what she's doing in the face of women's health in the media and I've just loved interacting with her on social media. So thank you so much, Dr. Moore, again for coming on Dr. Me First. You know, and the one thing that I'm going to pull out for our kick of encouragement today is actually her words on the five things how she frames what she's doing with her business and they were one does it help people two does it involve women's health three is it fun four is it pro bono or lucrative and five is it with good people you know I think that applies to all of our lives and the aspects that we all want to accomplish you know we all intrinsically think we really do want to help and heal other people and because of that I think sometimes we lose sight of our own health and well-being. I love that she's focused on women's health. I think we all could say that we have a special place in our heart for taking care of the people that are around us. And fun. I know that since I focused on putting fun back into my life, not being ashamed of having fun, of being silly, of expressing joy, it has really deepened the experience of my days. For I love that she discerns, is this pro bono or is it lucrative? Because really, that's kind of the scale that we should do. You know, is it something lucrative in our lives or is it something that we want to give away? And accepting no middle ground, like maybe we'll decrease our prices or, you know, maybe we'll charge this person a little bit less. It's like all in. And I love that. And the last one being with good people. Gosh, it's so important to have that connection in our lives, to not be isolated, to be surrounded by other people who think and feel how we do. I mean, there's studies now coming out that's showing that that is so important to our well-being. So I just think about my community that's around me, and I hope that you have that for yourself. And if you don't, just know that maybe coaching, adding me as your life coach into your support system could be one way to surround yourself with good people while you're working on building that network. So thank you, Dr. Danica, for giving us those five points, for me using that as our kick of encouragement today. And just remember, everybody, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.